0: Well, this morning we are continuing our series on Abram. We'll get to Abraham in a week or two, but Abram. And uh, we're looking at Genesis chapter 12. And last week we had Abram uh, being called out of Ur of the Chaldees. And there he left his family and his um, past and moved to a country, a place that God would show him when he got there. And we know that this trip took, uh, I think, well over a thousand miles so, you know, they didn't get Amtrak or the train. They took the camel <laughs> and, the, and the donkey and they traveled north along the Euphrates River uh, until they came up near the beginning of it or, and, and then traveled down by the, the uh, Mediterranean Sea and came to this place that we know as Israel today. And it was there that Abraham settled and the, God brought to him these promises Uh, again, that he would have this new life. And in today's lesson, in verse 7, God appeared to Abraham and said, I will give this land to you and to your children. So he built an altar there. It is this place called Bethel that Abraham has now arrived at, and he is there uh, celebrating God's promises to him. And it's important as they, in the Old Testament, in these times, they would erect altars. They would erect places of that not only were places of sacrifice, but they were places that comm- uh, commemorated how that they had established some type of communion with God. They had established this relationship with God and with his promises. And it's very important because always throughout Abraham's life, and as later on as his name is changed to Abraham, he comes back to Bethel. And there's, there's this theme, I remember years ago I even did a sermon on it, back to Bethel. Going back to that place where we met and encountered God. Where God, um, his experience of his love and his promise came, comes into our life. And it's important that we have these places. You know, we have celebrations, you know, Christmas, Easter, and the holidays. And those are special key occasions that are set up for our nation, as it were and on our calendar, yearly calendar, but as we celebrate birthdays, so too we should celebrate in our own lives times in which God moved on our life. Times in which we felt really close to God, and how that God touched our lives, and that we need to always remember those places. Remember where God has touched our life, and has brought us to that place, and has always from that place been a focus of our life. I can remember a couple of occasions in, in my young life when I was a teenager that God really spoke to my life, really uh, impressed upon my life um, his spirit and his, his call that, he, that I had. Whenever I was in college and um, playing football and, it, and, and going to church, there was one, one night in particular I was at church and up at the altar praying, and it was that night that I felt this calling that said, this is the time, you know, I'm calling you into the ministry. I want you to go to Bible school, go to the school, and become a minister. So from that moment on, it was like, okay, that's what I'm doing. There was like no second choice, there was no going on with my... Presidents' endeavors of playing ball and playing football and being a coach and all that, none of that was important anymore. It was this place, and I can still remember the night. For me to remember, that's a good thing. Um, But I can remember that night and remember that place that I was at that church, at the altar, and there, as it were, hearing that voice or hearing that still small voice. I didn't hear voices. But that kind of whisper in your spirit, this is what I want you to do. This is what you were intended for. And so from that moment on, it's been, let's go, (laughs) let's be a preacher. Let's be a minister and do what God has for us. Well, Bethel is this kind of place where Abraham has arrived at the promised land. And it is there that God renews this promise that he gave to him back in Ur of the Chaldees. Whenever he had left there, that God would bless him and he would give to him a land, and when you get there, I'll tell you it's there. I'll tell you when you're there. And this is what happens here at Bethel. God shows up in Abram's life and tells him, I will give this land to your children. So it's like, this is it. This is where I'm supposed to be. And so Abraham sets up this Abram sets up this altar, and there he offers his worship to God. Verse eight. He moved on from there. We would say, well, if that's such a wonderful place to be, why are you going to move on? Why are you going to move away from there? Well, he established the altar, and he moved on from there. He moved southward in this land that God had given him. And he moved on from there to the hill country east of Bethel and pitched his tent toward Bethel to the west and Ai to the east. He built an altar there, and he prayed to God. Verse 9, And Abram kept moving steadily, making his way south to the Negev. And what's important is, if you look at the region, you find that Ur of the Chaldees is over by the, I don't want to call it the Black Sea, but it's, um, I forget which sea it is, but anyhow, it's along the Euphrates River. Follows that up north, almost to the northern tip of the Mediterranean Sea, and then down the coast of Israel down to almost to where Jerusalem is and to that area, and he builds this altar, and then he moves south of there down to the Negev. And the Negev is down by the Dead Sea, and it's between the Dead Sea and Egypt. So he's moving down in that direction. And whenever he gets to the Negev, verse 10, then a famine came to the land, and Abram went down into Egypt to live. So as Abram has traveled... He he arrives at this place that God says, this is what I'm going to give to you and your descendants, and then a famine comes. Well, you would think that if God has a plan for you, no more problems. (laughs) There's not going to be any problems. You know, this is the land God has promised me, and I'm just going to pitch my tent, and I'm staying here. Well, it didn't happen that way. Abram moved out, and he found that he was in a famine, so what did he do? Well... He questioned God. Nope, he just went on. He said, well, there's food in Egypt. Let's go down to Egypt. So I've come this far. Let's, what's another 400, 500 miles? <laughs> you know, just a day's journey by camel. Fast camel. <laughs> no, nah, took him a while to get from Negev to Egypt. So um, it was a hard famine. So as he drew near to Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, Look, we both know that you are a beautiful woman, a woman. And when the Egyptians see that you're going to, they're going to say, Aha, that's his wife. Now, ladies, you know that when your husband says to you, You know, honey, we both know you're really beautiful, something's coming, right? <laughs> we know that something's up. <laughs> when a husband comes, Honey, you know, we both know you're really beautiful. So Abram turns to Sarai, his wife, and says, We both know that you're really beautiful, and we're going into another country, but I think I have an idea. I have a plan. Why don't you say you're my sister, and they won't kill me? (laughs) Because if you're my wife, they'll kill me and take you, because you're just too beautiful. And ladies, nudge your husbands, whatever. I want you to notice this. He's telling you something here. All right, so. So do me a favor. Tell them you're my sister. Because of you, they'll welcome me and let me live. So this is Abraham now. This is the guy who God has promised him that I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you... Descendants, I'm going. The, 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 your descendant is going to bless the entire world, and this is Abram. What's he doing? His fear has caused him to doubt that he was ever going to live, and he doesn't have any kids yet. So how can the promise that God has given him take him through this difficulty? He's, you know. He, the promise doesn't, in this, in this case, the promise that God has given him up here at Bethel and the promise that he had given him, you know, 1,500 miles earlier in, in uh, Ur of the Chaldees suddenly goes out the window whenever he goes into, falls off the camel, doesn't go out the window. It falls off the camel uh, whenever he comes to Egypt. And he tells Sarah, you know what, just say that you're my sister. So And then he says, "Because you're so beautiful, and because you are going to represent me so well, they'll let me live, and everything will be fine." So what we got here, Verse 16. "Because of her, Abram got along very well. He accumulated sheep and cattle, uh, male and female donkeys, men, women, servants, camels. So you see, Pharaoh blessed Abram. Because of Sarai, oh, I forgot verse 14, when Abram arrived in Egypt, the Egyptians took one look and saw that his wife was stunningly beautiful. So Sarai was a beautiful woman. And she had all the lovely appearances that other people would consider her a very lovely woman. And Pharaoh's princesses, princesses, that's the word, princesses, raved over her to Pharaoh she was taken to live with Pharaoh. So she was taken to be part of Pharaoh's harem. Now, we don't know how long she was in this harem. We don't know of if Pharaoh ever you know, took her to his bed and all that. We don't know any of that. We just know that she was part of the harem. We know that Abraham and how long they were there, we don't know. How long they were in Egypt, we don't know. But we do know that because of she being in the the harem part of Pharaoh's court, that Abram was blessed. And God's blessing continued to be upon him. And he was blessed by Pharaoh with many, with many cattle and everything else that just kept accumulating. And verse 18, Pharaoh called for Abram, What's this that you've done to me? See, God does not allow things to continue. When we're breaking his commands and where things are not as they should be, God has a way of interrupting. God has a way of interrupting the process and interrupting what's going on and saying there's something else going on here. So he interrupted and he came to Pharaoh and his, Pharaoh and his whole court were sick. And then Pharaoh knows, God talked to, somehow revealed to Pharaoh, what's this that you've done to me? Why don't you tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister so that I'd take her as a wife? Here's your wife back, take her and get out. <laughs> so Pharaoh, he, he chastises Abram for his lie and for his inability to have faith. And he chastises Abram and tells him to get out of, get out of town. And Abram's fear made more out of the, prob- the situation than needed to be. Abram's fear that Pharaoh would kill him overrode Abram's promise from God that God would take care of him. And see, as we look at the life of Abram, sometimes we start placing these individuals, these godly characters that we see in the scriptures, and we put them in supernatural settings in which they never really had to make an everyday life decision. Well, we can see how that fear is not to have a part of our life. Now, there are fears that we need to be afraid. There are things that we need to be afraid of. You know, you don't go lay in the middle of the railroad tracks when the whistle's blowing, okay? That's a good fear. You stay off the track when the whistle is blowing. How many know that's true? All right, thank you. All right. You don't play out in the middle of the street. Why? You could get hit with a car, you know? That's a good fear. There are certain things we should be afraid of, you know? Fear is a good thing. But the fear, when we start making up fears, and as it were, here is Abram coming into a new country, he's afraid that Pharaoh's going to kill him and take his wife, so he says, you be my sister and everything will be fine. He allowed the fear to cancel out the promise. In our life, we have this core of who we are, is the promise of God. And the promises of God live in our life. And it is the promises of God that help us deal with our everyday life. It gives us the strength of the promise overrides our fears, overrides the things that we are assuming will take place, or what could take place. How many scenarios can you come up with to a situation? <laughs> you know, some people can come up to a hundred different things that could go wrong. But a promise gives us a perspective that will go right. See? A promise gives us a perspective of how things will go right. And what happens whenever we have a perspective of how things can go right? We go in that direction. We go towards the answer to that prayer. And that's why it's so important, you and I as God's children, to allow the promises to direct us, not our fears, to push us. God's promises direct us. And so what happened? Pharaoh ordered his men to get Abram out of the country. They sent him and his wife and everything he owned on their way. Hmm, It's kind of a similar exit of what will happen to Abram's grandson when he takes his family Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. When Joseph goes to Pharaoh, goes to Egypt, becomes second in command to Egypt, in Egypt, and Pharaoh, and brings Jacob to live there, Israel, and his children, his descendants. And the children of Israel have the 400 years of captivity in, in Egypt. And what happens at the end of the 400 years? Pharaoh, at the end of the plagues, sends them out with everything. Here is kind of like the same thing happens to Abram. Take your family and get out of town. Verse chapter 13. So, Abram left Egypt and went back to the Negev. Okay, so this is that 350, 400 mile journey from, from Egypt back to the Negev, which is south of near the um, Dead Sea, somewhere between the Dead Sea and the Sea of Galilee, that part. And so he returns to this, probably the bottom part of the the areas, the Negev, down by the Dead Sea. Now Abram was very rich and loaded with cattle, silver, and gold. So the riches of good men are the fruit of God's giving and the fruit of God's blessing. The riches of good men are the fruit of God's blessing. And Abram was very rich and he was very rich as we would call religious, very deep in his faith and his commitment to God. So he moved on from the Negev, moved up into what is now the Canaan land, camping along the way to Bethel, the place where he had first set up his altar. He was going back to Bethel, the place where God had said, this is your land. And Bethel and Ai built his first altar. He prayed there to God. So Bethel then is this place that Abraham continually comes back to. Sometimes, and I haven't recently thought of it, many years whenever you know, we were young in the ministry, always, I would always remember that night, that place at the altar, where I felt God called me to be a minister. And when you doubted that and felt, felt like, well, maybe I didn't hear God well, I would go back and revisit that night and revisit that place. And you see, these are the important times in our life. No matter what God does, there are things, there are events, there are altars, there are places that are very important to you in your life. And it's important that you revisit them. Now, sometimes people revisit the places of trauma and create pain. God says, let it go. Go back to the places of, of meaning. Go back to the places where God has touched your life and blessed you in a very specific way. Go back to those places because those are the places that are going to make a difference in how you live. Abram goes back to Bethel. Lot was traveling with Abram. The whole time Lot's been with him. and he, That's his nephew. He was also rich. He was rich in sheep and cattle and tents. But the land couldn't support both of them. They had too many possessions. They couldn't both live there. And quarrels broke out between Abram's shepherd and Lot's shepherds. And the Canaanites and the Perizzites also lived on the land at the time. So what's happening is Abram is growing who went to Egypt and all the slaves and men servants and maid servants and, and cattle and you know all these things are growing in the grazing pastures. And then Lot, he has, he's been blessed and he's growing. And so there's conflict going on. Plus there are other people living in these regions. So what are you going to do? Well, Lot, his father died and he traveled with his uncle Abram. And he was basically raised by Abram. And Abram would have been a very strong role model for him. But Lot, he never did get it. Lot never really had a sense of his own purpose. He kind of was the person who tagged along with Uncle Abram. And so throughout his life then, he was kind of caught up in the moment caught up in what was going on around him. And he was unable to see the consequences of, of his actions and, and what he was doing, but he just would follow along with Abram. And as long as he followed Abram, he was blessed. And I use this to tell us and to tell each of us, and myself and you, that everyone around you is blessed because of your relationship with God. People around you are blessed because of you and your relationship with God. You see, when God blesses you, it blesses those around you. It has an effect. Just as people people who are lost and caught up in problems, everybody around them is affected. Well, the opposite is true when we are blessed. Everyone around you is affected by God's blessing upon your life. You say, well, we're not really that blessed. Believe me. God has blessed you. He has given you a perspective of life and about what's going on in your life that has changed you. And whether you notice it or not, other people have been affected by it. Lot was affected by the blessing that came into Abram's life. And when Lot and Abram's... uh, servants and cattle could no longer be sustained on the same land, Abram has a solution. Comes to Lot, says, Lot, it's your choice. Where do you want to live? You can have this place where we're at, you can have the the, the valley there, you can go anywhere you want. It's all your choice. Well, (laughs) Lot, He saw, in verse 10 and 11, he looked and he saw the whole plain of the Jordan spread out, well watered, like God's garden, like Egypt, stretching all the way to Zor. He took the whole plain of the Jordan and Lot set out to the east. So he looked around and he said, you know what? I'm a good businessman. I'm going to take where I know I'll prosper. And he took his lands and his cattle and everything and he went to the plains of Jordan and guess what was in the plains of Jordan? It was the people of Sodom. Verse 13. They were flagrant sinners against God. And so Lot took his family where he could prosper but he was camping now next to sinners. Sinners. Against, he, was, he was putting his life next to people who were going to rob him, kill him, and destroy him. He had lived his entire life around someone who was blessing and giving and supplying. He couldn't see that. He goes down to live by Sodom. In chapter 14, I'm not going to read it, but I just want to go do a little things here. That while he was living down by Sodom, you see, in those days, it was, it was like a, a, an area, a king was, there was the king of Johnstown, there was the king of Somerset, there was the king of Ebensburg, there was the king of Bedford, okay? So every these, all these cities had their, their kings and their um, armies that would protect them. Well, at Sodom, there was the king. And there, was this, there were these five cities that were paying tribute to one king. One king had come from Indiana and he had conquered all five of these places and they, all the places, Ebensburg and Johnstown and uh, Bedford, they all had to pay tribute to the king of Indiana because he ruled over them. Well, Sodom, Johnstown and Ebensburg and all of them got together and says, we're not going to pay him tribute. We've been doing this for five years. Twelve years, excuse me. We've been doing this for twelve years. We're not paying. So they made a pact. They were going to fight against the king of Indiana. <laughs> so when the king of Indiana found out about this, he comes storming in and he just wiped them all out. And he conquered all these areas, including Sodom. And what did he do? He took Lot and his family captive. Everything they their own, he took them, and he went off. Well, that was not the right thing to do. Because Abram was a man of God, and Abram wouldn't allow his nephew to be taken captive. He could walk out of the house, but he wasn't going to be dragged away from him. So here are these five kingdoms fighting against one kingdom. They couldn't do anything about it. So what does Abram do? He takes 318. He takes 318 men and chases after the king. And when they chased after the king, he caught up to them, and the 318 men did what five kingdoms, five city states couldn't. Abram defeated them. God gave him a plan, he defeated the enemy retook all of the possessions, retook everything he had, set his, son, his nephew uh, free, took his wife and his kids and his families and all of his goods, took them all back, and he's going back home with the lot, <laughs> the lot, <laughs> all of the goods that he had conquered from this king. Verse 17 of chapter 14. After Abram returned from defeating um, Kedolomar, Lomer, Lomer, and his alien kings, the king of Sodom came out to greet him in the valley of Shavesh, and the king's valley. And so the king of Sodom comes out and greets him and you know, talks to him about it. But the most important thing here is Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of the high God and he blessed him. In the book of Hebrews, it says, Melchizedek, to be without father, without mother, without descendant, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. This king, Melchizedek, some feel, there's different theories about this, but some feel this was Jesus Christ. This priest of Salem, is the descendant who is going to bless the entire earth through Abram's lineage. He shows up. He represents the Most High God. Blessed be Abram by the High God, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be the High God who handed your enemies over to you. This king of Salem, king of peace, Jesus, the Prince of Peace, comes out and blesses Abram. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything that he had taken. He took everything he had and gave to this Melchizedek one-tenth of everything he owned because he recognized how that God had blessed him. Now, does Abram know that this is Jesus incarnate? Does 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 he know that this is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. I don't know. And again, you can go back and forth and there are different theologies and different um, theories as to who this guy is. But it talks about how that this prince, this representative, this Melchizedek, God came and blessed Abram again. And Abram took of everything that he had and gave to him. As a sign of God's provision, we go on, verse 21. The king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me back the people, but you keep all of the plunder to yourself. You keep all, everything that you've captured is yours, just give me the people. And Abram told the king of Sodom, I swear to God, the high God, the creator of heaven and earth, This solemn oath, I take nothing from you or from those other five kings. I take nothing of your possessions, not so much as a thread or a shoestring. I'm not going to have you go around saying I made Abram rich. Nothing for me other than what the young men ate and the the share of the men who went with me. Abram says, God who made the promise to my life is my sustainer. He is the one who is going to provide for me. He is the one who is going to see me through all of the difficulties of my life, and all of the wealth that is going to come into my life is going to come by God himself moving in my life. And so, you see, when we talk about... How that in our life we're faced with decisions that we have to make. Sometimes we think, well, you know, maybe I should lie a little bit. Maybe I should do this. Maybe I should do that. Abram going into Egypt. You know, Sarah, (laughs) we both know you're beautiful. (laughs) Be my sister so I can live. No, no, Abram. There's a promise on your life that cannot be canceled by some king of Egypt. Some Pharaoh in Egypt. Then he comes to this recovering and the battle that Abraham did. The strategy that went into planning this battle, God gave him a strategy to conquer an army that five kings couldn't touch. 318 conquered. Took everything they had stolen, plus more. Comes back to his homeland. Has this wealth of things. The prince Melchizedek, the priest, comes. What does he do? He takes a tenth of everything he owns and gives to this priest. Everything we own is represented in our tithes and our offerings. Everything about our wealth and about who we are as an individual is represented in our giving. And no one is ever going to be credited with making you who you are. God is going to be the one who will receive the credit for you becoming the person he created you to be in your mother's womb. And your giving, your living, abiding in the promises, living by the word, brings about a security in you that nothing can destroy and no one will be able to take credit for, but God himself, who has touched your life and made a difference in you. This is what happened to Abram. And it's what happens to each of us. Every day of our life, God walks with us. He promises us. We go back to those places where God has made a difference in our life. He's challenged us. And He keeps on challenging us to trust Him. And He will make a way for us. He will bring the promises to the surface inside of our heart. And we pray those promises. And God will bless It is his blessing that we desire. It is God's direction for our life that we desire. It is his protection. It is his purpose. He will be our God and we shall be his people. And he will bless us in this life and in this day. And he will bless us tomorrow. And he will bless us for an eternity. Because he is the God who created the heavens and the earth. He is the God who spoke to Abram 3,500 years ago. He's the same God that speaks to our hearts today. He never changes. Shall we stand? (laughs) Father, we are grateful to you (laughs) how you have blessed us. God, we are grateful for your provisions. We're grateful, Lord, that you make us wise stewards. And no one is ever going to receive credit for making us who we are. Not we ourselves, nor other individuals. God, it is you and your blessing. And your blessing, O God, touches our life, and it touches the lives of everyone around us. Even those who don't believe, Lord, are touched by your blessing through us. We thank you, Lord that what you give to us is something of abundance and something of truth and of eternity. We thank you for hearing our prayers. We thank you, God, for touching our lives, our families. Thank you, God, for loving us, seeing hope and promise in us that we never saw in ourselves. God, you see it. You create it. You touch it. You bless it. You cause it to grow. And, Lord, we continue to become that person you created us to be. Let your blessing be upon us. Now we pray. God, inspire our prayers for those who are ill, for those who are hurting, for those who are in need. Inspire our prayers that we may pray your thoughts and your word. We ask in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. God bless you.